This episode is brought to you by TubeBuddy, the complete toolkit for YouTube channel management. This power-packed browser extension helps with everything from both metadata edits and trending keyword suggestions to thumbnail optimization, fan engagement tools, and so much more. Visit TubeBuddy.com to meet your new best friend on YouTube. You're listening to All Things Video. I'm your host, James Creech, and for this entire past month of August, we created a new episode every day about a specific topic affecting the online video industry. Today, it's your chance to ask the questions. We had listeners submit questions via email to allthingsvideopodcast at gmail.com and on our Facebook and LinkedIn pages. We'll do our best to get to everyone's questions today, but no promises. So if there's something you're still very curious to know about, please continue to send your questions in. Maybe we'll do a part two sometime. Or if I can answer something specifically, I'll do my best to respond uh, via email or on our social pages. So to start it off, our first question today is about some of the, the recent policy changes from YouTube. The question is, will YouTube's new changes to community and content guidelines affect creativity in the video space? Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar, they're referring to YouTube policies that determines whether or not content is appropriate for advertising. This can include sexually suggestive videos, violence, inappropriate language, promotion of drugs or other illegal substances, and even controversial or sensitive topics and events like war, political conflicts, natural disasters, tragedies, etc. This has impacted a number of large creators, including folks like Philip DeFranco. So the public outcry is now being called the YouTube is over party. YouTube says this is not a policy change, just more enforcement and a better notification system for creators to appeal. So to answer your question, do I think this is going to impact creativity in the video space? Yes and no. I do think in many ways it will change the content that, that some people are producing, causing them to be more conservative. After all, advertising revenues are a significant part of how many serious or professional creators make their living. At the same time, I don't think it's going to have as large an impact as many are claiming. This is very difficult to enforce at scale, so even if YouTube is, is relying on community guideline flags or technology to help determine when someone is creating content that is perhaps not brand safe or sensitive for a potential advertiser, it's going to be difficult to scan so many pieces of content on the platform, and for the most part, YouTube still wants to monetize as much content as possible. Perhaps a better question is, is this right? That's up to you. YouTube owns the platform and wants to make it easy and safe for brands to advertise, but at the same time, they shouldn't be creating such broad rules, failing to properly explain and educate creators about the policies, and poorly enforcing them. Next question we have from listeners is, how will competing video platforms start to pull talent off YouTube? There are many different strategies out there. Twitter is offering a better rev share, 70-30 versus YouTube and Facebook's 55-45%. Facebook's uh, angle is the ease of growing audience and the huge scale presenting a strong alternative to YouTube's platform. There are folks like Snapchat who are creating fun and engaging ways to share content with friends. And then there are live streaming platforms like Twitch, Beam, and YouNow, which for the most part tend to focus on a verticalized audience and better monetization opportunities over the long term. So in summary, competing video platforms are looking at different approaches to moving talent off YouTube and onto other sites. And this can include focusing on the audience, focusing on the business model, or focusing on the, the content that they're attracting. Next question, how many creators today are making their living solely off UGC video? To be honest, I have absolutely no idea, but let's try to back into it. The average US income is about $52,000 a year or $4,333 a month. If we assume an average YouTube CPM of $2, and factor in YouTube's 45% share, we need to generate 3,939,000 views per month. So how many channels can do that? Well, we don't have data on all YouTube channels, unfortunately, 
But at Paladin, we've been indexing YouTube creator data for over four years, and our talent locator sits on top of a database of more than 15.5 million channels, including some of the largest creators on the platform. Of those 15.5 million channels, 9,996% generate more than the requisite 3,939,000 views per month. Talk about the 1%, that's only 0.06% of YouTube channels making a living off AdSense earnings today. So the follow-up question then is, will this number increase or decrease? Though YouTube CPMs fluctuate over time, they've begun to stabilize recently, and with a large number of creators coming on the platform, I would anticipate this number to steadily increase over time, especially as creators can generate additional revenue streams from distributing content on other social video sites and bolstering their earnings from things like brand deals, video syndication opportunities, and more. Which verticals are underserved in online video today? Where do you see the biggest white space opportunity? Wow, this is a great question and and something I've spoken about at different conferences and on panels in the past. I'd say the blue ocean today is really creating content for older audiences. A lot of MCNs are focused on the younger creator populations that are on YouTube, but as the continued scale and reach of the platform increases, and as existing audiences age up, creating content for an older demographic, especially those 45 and older, is incredibly underserved on YouTube. Two other categories that are particularly interesting are creating content for military or armed service personnel and game show content. Both of these have large niche followings and have demonstrated success in the traditional world, but no one has replicated that success yet in the digital world. Beyond that, some currently underserved categories are automotive, food, sports, DIY, and travel. Now, there are certainly creators and MCNs pursuing each of these particular niches, But I'd say that the advertiser interest still outweighs the amount of content that's being generated in each of those categories. Another listener asks, do you see consolidation in the way of acquisition within the online video platform world? What are some likely targets for this? We have seen acquisitions in the past, and in terms of consolidation for the future, it's probably yes and no. Twitter acquired Vine for $30 million and purchased Periscope for close to $100 million. That said, Snapchat rejected Facebook's bid to purchase the young company, so not everyone is necessarily just chasing the money or the quick exit. I imagine we'll see most consolidation from SVOD and live streaming platforms. One, because there's so many of them at the moment, and two, because the market can realistically only support a handful of winners. How do you see AVOD and SVOD models, and even what we know as traditional TV, converging over the next three to five years? What will be the role of mobile in this context? Neither AVOD nor SVOD is going away. AVOD, SVOD, and TVOD models will continue to exist and thrive. And traditional TV content's not going anywhere either. We'll still have television sets and watch programming there and on mobile, tablets, and laptops in five years. We'll just be able to do so via services that bundle and curate digital and traditional video content in a single viewing experience. One listener writes, you've described MCN phases 1.0 to 3.0. In your mind, what's MCN 4.0? Wow, that's a big question. We're just now entering MCN 3.0, so I'm not sure anyone can really predict what's next. If I had to hazard a guess, I'd say they'd place a big emphasis on immersive and interactive video, things like 360, VR, and AR. We'll also see more brands acting like media companies, which is a theme that's come up in a lot of our interviews, as well as other podcasts that we've done, and top influencers building brands. Right? We already have Michelle Fawn with the success of her Icon Network and Ipsy, and PewDiePie launching Revel Mode, as we talked about in the MCN 3.0 installment of that series. So I think we're going to continue to see growth of those trends, and probably a lot of stuff that we just can't yet predict for MCN 4.0. 
In terms of timing, I would imagine that will come somewhere around 2020. And that will be driven by future changes in audience consumption habits, as well as technology improvements. Next question. Twitter made a big video monetization announcement this week. What are your thoughts on their offering and its potential? A lot of people have been really down on Twitter recently, and I'm not quite sure why. The company still has 310 million monthly active users. They're profitable. They generated $2.2 billion in top-line revenue in 2015, of which $521 million flowed through to net profit. And it's a great platform for news, sports, and second-screen entertainment viewing. They're a huge player in live with Periscope, and they own Niche for influencer marketing, one of the first very successful acquisitions in that space. So how do they compete? How do they stack up against YouTube, Facebook, and everyone else? Well, for one thing, they're offering a much better rev share, enticing creators away with the 70-30 offer instead of the traditional 55-45 available on YouTube. So if they can attract top creators and maintain premium supply to bolster CPMs, and they don't have freeloaders to support like YouTube, they stand a pretty good shot at maintaining high fill rates and hopefully making all the math pencil. What trends do you see in capital moving in and out of the digital space? There have been some signals recently indicating we might be entering a market correction. Not necessarily a bubble or a crunch, but we're seeing valuations move down, in my view, into much more realistic bands. And we're seeing investors be a little bit more conservative in the size of checks that they're writing and the performance metrics that they're looking for from companies before they jump right in. Overall, there's less interest in the quote-unquote MCN model, which I take to mean MCN 1.0, meaning scaled aggregation and passive revenue. Instead, investors want to see next-generation media companies that have a clear content focus, are building a brand and IP, have multiple revenue streams, and are taking advantage of technology to effectively manage and grow their business. So in that sense, investors are much more interested in companies that highlight the MCN 3.0 approach. There's also, obviously, a lot of interest in immersive video right now. 360 AR and VR companies are receiving huge investment. We're already seeing some acquisitions happen, and we can expect continued growth in immersive video. If you were going to invest in a digital business sector, where would you put your money? Hands down, I would invest in technology for online video. Maybe that's obvious given my background and what we're building at Paladin, but I think there's still so much opportunity in creating technology solutions within the online video space. Whether it's syndication, productivity tools, analytics, there's so much to tackle, and we're just now scratching the surface. What kind of challenges and opportunities exist for entrepreneurs in digital that are different from those of three to five years ago? Well, I'd say there's a lot more opportunity now. The digital space is more established, there are chances to collaborate with traditional media, and there's a greater need for technology, as I just mentioned. The resulting challenges are that there's more competition and more noise. But I'd say it's a better time than any that's ever existed to be a content creator, and it's a great time to be an entrepreneur in the online video space. How important is company location in establishing a foothold in digital? Does Silicon Beach have an advantage? I'd say absolutely. LA is several orders of magnitude larger than other online video markets, especially when you think of London, Berlin, and New York, which are probably also in kind of the top tier when it comes to number of creators and companies building digital video businesses. Just as traditional talent have for years made their way to LA to pursue the Hollywood dream, digital creators are now getting their start in LA as well. Think of it as comparable to Silicon Valley. There are significant network effects that keep tech companies in the Bay Area, talent, capital, and community, all being predominantly located there. The same is true of media and entertainment in LA. This doesn't mean that other digital video hubs won't emerge, It just means that LA will continue to be the leader for creating a digital video business. How is building or managing customer relationships different in digital video from more traditional sales or even more traditional software as a service? 
What I love about this industry is that digital video is a true meritocracy. As Glasgow Phillips said in the first ever episode of the podcast, the great thing about digital is it's full of experts who have taught themselves. In most cases, we're mastering things that the majority of other people in the world don't even know exist. As a result, most of the people who work in digital video are awesome. They're friendly, passionate about the industry, and excited about being in such a dynamic, fast-growing environment. So in digital video, much like any other industry, being successful in sales is about being a great listener and helping people solve problems. At Paladin, we're focused on enterprise sales, which are much more one-to-one, so relationship-driven, and less one-to-many like traditional consumer SaaS, which leans heavily on marketing or perhaps a freemium model in which giving away some functionality for free is a form of marketing. Thank you to all of those who submitted questions. This was really fun for me to get a a sense for what you're interested in and get a chance to answer some of the things that are on your mind. Again, if you have more questions, we want to hear from you. So please send them in to allthingsvideopodcast at gmail.com. You can also drop us a line on our Facebook or LinkedIn pages. And stay tuned for future episodes. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time.